You're listening to Demystifying Aged Care with Graham Maybury. Hello and welcome to another episode of Demystifying Aged Care. I'm Graham Maybury and I hope you're enjoying our conversations about the ageing journey, the challenges and the opportunities we face when we enter the later stages of life. Today we're looking at retirement and interestingly it's a life stage that seems to evoke either great joy or great apprehension. Some of us can't wait to down tools, stop the daily commute, say goodbye to the boss and the endless meetings, spend more time with the grandkids, devote ourselves to a hobby, get a caravan and join the grey nomads going clockwise or anti-clockwise around Australia. For others, there's a sense of impending dread, and it leads them to put off retirement for as long as possible, self-doubt and fear of the unknown. What if we run out of money? What will it feel like to downsize, to say goodbye to the family home? What if we lose our identity and our sense of connection to our community? Well, there's one person, a friend of mine, who hears fundamental questions about retirement more than most that I know. When should I retire? How much money do I need to live the retirement of my dreams? I'm speaking of Nick Bruning. You may have read Nick's fantastic Your Money column in the West Australian or his book Don't Panic, Why You Don't Need a Million Dollars to Retire Well or the book Don't Panic, Aged Care Guide. Nick is a genuinely independent financial advisor, which means he has no links to any financial products whatsoever. And today we're lucky enough to have him with us in the Demystifying Aged Care studio. Nick, welcome. Graham, pleasure to be here. <laughs> nice to have you with us again. For, we've had a radio connection that goes a long way back. And also in the studio with me, I'm delighted to say, uh, giving us uh, an idea of the dollars and cents of retirement, that's S-E-N-S-E, is Ivan Helbert from Baptist Cares Yolambi Retirement Village in picturesque Mundaring. If you ever thought retirement would be slow, boring, stayed, Ivan's experience will definitely change your mind. He's got an interesting later life story, including taking up a new artisan craft hobby in his 80s. Ivan, great to have you here. Great, thanks very much. I'm looking forward to chatting to you. I'll start with you though, Nick, if I can, and the number one question I know you're always being asked, this idea of how much do I need to retire on, where, where did the myth of needing a million dollars come from? Graham, it's come from the uh, the superannuation industry. Not a surprise. And hello, surprise, Ivan. Surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah. yeah. Look, um, let's not forget that the super industry is in the business of uh, encouraging us to uh, to invest money into super because they collect fees on the uh, on the amount that you've invested. The million dollar myth is pretty easy to sort of replicate. What you need to do is work out that you need maybe about you know forty thousand dollars a year to be comfortable in retirement. You go and get the old calculator out and you sort of plug in the numbers and work out. Well, if I'm putting in something safe like four percent, three or four percent, if I could get that, if, if you could these days, that'd be lovely. And you plug those numbers into the calculator. It works. Tells you that you need a million bucks. So then what you do is you panic. You tear around the place, realising you've only got two or $300,000 in the super. Um, and then you're encouraged to put even more into super or perhaps into other sorts of investments as well. And frankly, it's, it's garbage. Because what most of these people fail to conveniently remind you of is our fantastic Centrelink system. Mm. Australia's ranked at number three in the world behind, I think it's the Finns and the Danes. Goodness knows why, but there we are. The Finnish and the Danish are, are slightly ahead of us. And what we see is that when you start to bring in superannuation combined with Centrelink benefits, it's actually not too bad. So, for example, a typical retired couple will spend on average about $51,000 a year. And I'd be interested to find out from Ivan if that's about what he thinks it is. But 51000 because you're debt-free. You don't, you, know, you don't need any more blenders or stuff like that. 
$51,000 a year, um, you can generate that sort of an income quite easily with about $350,000, right, which is extraordinary. But that's mm. putting it into a, a, a thing called a super or an account-based pension fund. It's paying out about five grand a year. Um, Centrelink benefits on that, believe it or not, $36,200 a year from Centrelink. Um, and that gives us a grand total of about fifty-three-seven, which is more than the 51 figure. Um, and that's without the discount cards that come with the concession cards and all those sorts of things, you know, cheap pills and that stuff too. So that's the myth explained and it hopefully mm. exploded. Do it's people, all about Centrelink. Mate, do people panic about other things apart from have I got enough money? Um, it is. And I think there's there's a couple of sort of qualifications to that. One is that you need to work out for yourselves what you actually want to leave to your loved ones when you're gone. Now, you know, one plan might be to spend the last dollar on the last day. The better one is the one that you owe the bank 10000 bucks when you peg out. <laughs> <laughs> but but for most people, for other people, it's about leaving as much as they can for the kids, and that's fine, and I mm-hmm. understand that. But most of us take the view these days that we're going to have a pretty good retirement, do the things that we want to do, and what's left for the kids they can have. And I reckon that's a really sensible approach, recognising that in the early years of retirement, you're going to go nuts. You're going to go on the trips. You're going to go and see the kids overseas. You're going to do all these fantastic things. But the other reality is that when you get into your late 70s, 80s, whenever, things wear out and bits drop off, Graham, um, and <laughs> sadly you slow down and your cost of living declines. So That's it's it. about balancing what you want to do now. Mate, you get you to, to if it don't hurt, it don't work. That's, That's right. where you get to, mate. Now the, the, uh, I want to talk to you about, I mean, there was a right time for me to retire from radio and you tapped me on the shoulder actually and said, mate, the legislation's changing. Yeah. So, But that, that, was a, that was a particular thing at a particular time. In general, though, is there a right time to return? Look, it is going to be a function of um, of how much money you've got. And look, one of the things about having more than that minimum amount, we're sort of suggesting two or three hundred thousand is a good figure, is that you've got you, you give yourself choice, Graham. So you give yourself choice to retire before the age pension age. And again, the maths don't need to be complicated. If you need fifty thousand dollars a year and you're going to retire five years before the pension kicks in, it's five times fifty, which is another quarter of a million dollars. Those mm. are the sorts of choices. I do think, though, we need to recognise that people in different occupations have different. Um, sort of requirements you know even the psychological aspects of retirement I think we underestimate that Um, it's very difficult being a a former teacher or a former nurse or a former radio presenter and that transition is really important to manage and sometimes Mm. we suggest that you know the wind down to retirement isn't a dead stop it's actually coming back to two days a week you know tapping into the super tapping into your savings it might be that you've got enough in the two days a week is just all you need to sort of run the household until the age pension kicks in but that that transition thing is really quite important don't just assume that you know 65th birthday ka-ching i'm out of here um, you need to be thinking about what else you're going to do you see stories in the media about people hanging on to the family home they're concerned about negative tax or mm. you know even personal implications um it is there, talk to us about that. Is there a right time well, to sell it? Or? Yeah, look, I think that um, I've always looked at uh, the big house, and we're actually going through this process at the moment. Uh, we've got a you know, lovely large house. We've had three kids. We've grown up and sort of shoved out, thankfully. Mm. <laughs> um, but now I'm... Grandparent uh, now, exactly, mate. Welcome to the club. Spending Saturday morning on a ride-on mower, let yes, me tell you. Yes, there so, we go. <laughs> and my, ride-on, and my wife, walk, push, no, no, exercise, I know I fitness. Thank you, Graham. 
But um, so when we look at all the cleaning hassles and things that go with that, we've pretty much decided, well, now it's time to downsize. Wow. I actually think it's really important that you do it at a time when you're in control of it. Sometimes, and I hate to say it, but the worst retirement accommodation plan is the one you make in a hospital car park. Um, when something's happened and you're kind of forced into the situation. The good thing about moving at an earlier stage in retirement, when you're ready, when you're ready, is that you you control where you're going to go. You, you also have an opportunity to integrate into the new community. So it could be in a different area, but even knowing where the shops are, where the doctor is, where the church is, all of these sorts of things are really important because you can become part of that community. And as I say, if you do it when you're in a point where you don't no longer have the mobility or the health to do it, um, it can be more challenging. So I think it's everyone's going to be different. There's no perfect, you know, 66, you should be out of there. It's what's right for you and your partner if you have one. So Ivan, let me bring you in at this stage because yeah, uh, you, as Nick says, we want to hear your personal experience. You've lived a lot of the stuff that Nick's been talking about. Yeah. And I know that uh, your particular journey toward retirement started when you sold the family farm you're a farmer yeah. but uh, you and for the and uh, you moved to Mount Helena after you'd done that after you yeah. sold the family farm but can I wind it back a bit and tell us a little bit about that you're on the farm you start to think about the times coming what, what actually happened I uh, had a farm advisor and he said look take a, take a, a year off go and lease the farm and take a year off and leasing for one year is not very acceptable so um, I said, oh, well, I'll lease it for three years. And my wife and I did the grey nomad stuff and travelled around Australia. And um, uh, that was really the start of the breakdown. But prior to that, while we were uh, for 10 years, we ran a health retreat on the farm. So we had people coming in wanting to do diet changes and uh, deal with their uh, um, broken relationships and... So we got chucked in the deep end and that sort of thing. But it, uh, we had about 650 people come through in that 10 years and um, uh, made a lot of friends. So you make a decision uh, to s- that uh, the family home is too big to manage on your own and you're going to move into Baptist Cares Yulambi in Mundaring in early 2018. What fears did you have or concerns about going into Retirement Village? Any? Well, retiring from the farm was the the biggest decision to make because uh, my grandfather had bought the land and and, uh, my dad had worked it and I had improved it. And so um, it was um, a major decision to decide to sell out. Do you feel and feel a bit of family loyalty? I'm letting go yeah, something that's part of our family. Yeah, and uh, that's not easy. Particularly, I had two older brothers who had worked on it, but they were independent. But uh, uh, yeah, it was it was tough because mm. of the history of uh, my grandfather buying all this land. So uh, to downsize, um, I felt I couldn't handle a a quarter acre block, so I bought five acres in Mount Alina mm-hmm. and um, so it wasn't the family home at all it, uh, it was my wife and I so that was in 2002 and um, then in 2006 she died um, she oh sorry to hear and, that um, so I've been um, looking after myself since then and the decision to downsize has come from realising that there was a whacking big swimming pool and a four-by-two house and I only walked into about three rooms. 
Okay. Yeah. And you're mowing the lawn every Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, see? Another one. <laughs> That's, that seems to be yeah, one of the well, triggers here. I had a neighbour who had sheep, and I used to turn those into it, and um, that... Uh, Okay, Kept so the grass down. I didn't have to worry so much. But, so, um, so Ivan, you went from farm to five acres, yeah. and then from five acres into your Lambie. Yeah, you're two years into the retirement village now. Yes. How is it? Great. Tell us why. Well, when I looked at downsizing, I was looking at blocks closer into Mundaring, and uh, I would have had to pay four fifty or more, and still have quarter quarter acre or half acre, and um, so I, um, uh, my son-in-law um, in Melbourne had a, an app on his uh, phone that uh, showed all the real estate and he found that there was a room c- coming up in Yalambi. It was uh, tough to do too. And, yeah. But uh, my daughter, who was living in London for many years, they, they came out and uh, my son-in-law is a, a minimalist in... Um, in every way and so he he was great help in getting rid of stuff oh you need one of those Ivan I I can speak from experience when we downsized you need you need a couple of minimalists around the place to help you with the pain actually but let me ask you too did we've got Nick with us did you access any independent financial advice in making these moves I've had a financial advisor for when I was still on the farm and um, so um, yeah, so he's he's been looking after me pretty well. It's simple. It's very simple. And yeah. of course, I'm on um, Centrelink, yeah. and uh, and that's gone up to about seven fifty a fortnight. Yeah, and, right. Uh, so I can practically live on that. Yeah. And and that's it. That's the point I was making, Graham. Is yep. that um, at eighty two, Ivan's still pretty active, clearly out and about. But mm. what we find is that they, they do you will slow down in the later parts of life, and you often yeah. find people that. Um, that are in their late 80s and 90s, and they tell you they've got too much money coming in. He's yeah. 84, Extraordinary. Yeah. 84. Yeah, right. Yeah. So 84, my, my he's doing even better. Yeah. <laughs> or 80. You look, you look about 70, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Nick, is, look, let me, since we're on this, is it like is it ever too late? For those who are still considering and planning for retirement, is it ever too late to start getting ready? Not really. Uh, Graeme, it, it is a case of, um, of weighing up what you've got and what you've got to work with. And, and good planning is about working with it, not about producing stuff out of nowhere mm. you know, out of nowhere which you can't do at that stage in life so it's about understanding the systems and what's out there and obviously in places like Yolanda and Baptist Care you've got other services that will become available as you get a bit older so you know, again Ivan's well clear of having to tap into the community home support program and the aged care packages and stuff but all of those things become perhaps part of the story as we move on and that that also produces less reliance on your own funds in order to pay for some of that stuff yeah. um, which shouldn't be ignored either because you know, at the end of the day, it's a great system we've got and, and the system is means tested. And the concept of that is if you've got the means to either fully or partially fund your own retirement, your own aged care, the system kind of compels you to do so. Mm. <clears throat> if you've got a you know, place down on the beach in, I don't know, Bustleton worth a couple of million bucks, well, don't expect to get a pension. Um in addition to your family home. Yeah, but, of course. But, but if you're in that position where you qualify for something, you might only get a little bit, but at least you get something. And as you spend some of your money, the actual benefits come up. And as you say, the non 
finance benefits are worth a bit too. Oh, Your yeah. Concessions here and there. Well, you know, prescription medicines at $6.60 a script capped out at about $317 a year and then you don't pay any more. Mm. Um, you get half price on rates uh, capped at $750, half price on water charges capped at $650. Um, that's before you go into, you know, certain hamburger joints and get a 50 cent soft serve cone on a Tuesday, Ivan. <laughs> and a free coffee. And a coffee, Some yeah. certain places, right. let me tell you. So all of those things come with the concession cards and, uh, and pretty much anyone over uh, pension age, which is currently 66, and get either the pension concession card, which comes with a pension, um, or the thing called the Commonwealth Seniors Health Card. And look, basically, that's for people that wouldn't qualify for a pension, can get the discount cards yeah. on those things. So do you find those cards save you a fair bit of money, Ivan? Uh, yeah, well, from time to time. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't use it all that much. Probably not as much as I could. Yeah, right. There you go. Uh, you probably never go in the chemist. Well, I... I, uh, I uh, I am getting some payments from my uh, superannuation. Right. That uh, yeah. Listen, Ivan. Let me. Uh, Nick mentioned earlier that uh, finance is part of it, but there's a massively important part that goes alongside it. Uh, kind of S E N S E, the sense of retirement. And and we've we've talked about the fact that you look incredibly fit, and we know you're incredibly busy at 84. How do you stay physically and mentally fit? How do I? How do you do it? How do you, how do you stay fit physically oh, and mentally? Well, Having plenty to do is important. I, um, I'm still playing sport. I mean, I play tennis twice a week, and um, that's about four sets um, at times. So right. I play about eight sets a week. I go to the gym, but that's only uh, once a month, and it's to do very heavy weights. Um, Is that for your bones? It's a program that I got off the internet. Okay. And... Um, you you um, lift from your uh, strongest position. You don't do a deadlift off the floor. You no. have it off the arm. And um, y- y- if you can hold it more than three seconds, it's not heavy enough. So you've got to put more on till you can just get it okay. off the ground. <laughs> yeah, and right. what about? So yeah, you're good. <laughs> I, I only got. I only do about two hundred and ten kilos on oh, that. Oh, so that's really? all. That's oh, that's you should be ashamed of yourself. Now, the other thing, though, you you a fascinating part of your story. You took up a craft after you, yes. in your retirement. Yes. You make violins. Yes. Tell yes. us about that. Yeah, well, I... Uh, you don't play the violin, do you? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you make uh, them. Yeah, I can play a CD or a tape, but um, <laughs> that's about all. And um, uh, when we were travelling around Australia, we met a uh, violin teacher uh, who my wife had done Vipassanas with, hmm. and uh, she put me on to a violin maker in Toowoomba, and I studied with him for two or three months. And... Uh, the rest of it I've done out of the books he recommended. Now so I'm working on number eight at the moment. Eighth violin. Yeah. There's one I know that's particularly special to you. Yes. Tell us about well, that. Well, um, the block in uh, Mount Alina mm. had a great big London plane tree right next to the house. Wow. Leaves all over the roof and roots going under the floor. So we chopped it down and slabbed it up. And I'd had the slabs for quite a few years in the shed mm. dried out well and um, uh, I suddenly thought um, London plane tree I don't know what it's like so my grandson came up who wanted to um, build a uh, 
weapon for an uh, ancient weapon was one of the schools. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So he said, I'll, I'll make a crossbow. Oh, excellent. So I said, well, come out and we'll get a bit of wood. And as I cut it up, I, I found the the, the um, pattern on the wood. It's just unbelievable. Wow. And um, so I thought, well, this I'll slab this off. And so I made a whole violin out of it. 80% of the wood came off the tree from Mount Alina. Just very quickly, you can't tell us what you but but you you make violins. Yep. You you play tennis yes. several times a week. You go to the gym once a month. I what? go clay target shooting. Uh, I've been clay target shooting for sixty seven years. Anything else? Uh, well, no, that's about it. Uh, well, I wouldn't want you to be bored. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, Ivan, and I'm cringing with inadequacy here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so. Ivan, I, I hope if I if I get to be 84, and I can be doing half what you're doing and look half as fit as you do, I'll think I'm very blessed. So thank you very much for being with us today. It's been fantastic. But also, Nick, um, our time's nearly gone. Um, but if there's anyone listening and they think what Nick's saying makes sense, and what I love about what you say is it's it's earth and it's you're not tied into any company, and it's it's practical. It's something you can actually act on step by step. Um, if, for this kind of no-nonsense advice that you give, where, where can they find it? So a couple of places. Um, the first point is actually Centrelink themselves on 132300. Mm-hmm. 132300 is a financial information service. Now, they're, they're a free service run by the government to give you this sort of basic set up your structures. Um, from there, if you actually want to get financial advice, you're going to have to go to the internet. That'll, that'll be the fast way to get it. Moneysmart.gov.au. That's moneysmart, all one word, dot gov.au. That'll give you the questions to ask about how to find a financial advisor. And then uh, the final plug, shall I say, is for the profession of independent financial advisors. PIFA, P-I-F-A, dot org, dot A-U. We'll put you in touch with independent financial advisors. There's not many of them, but well worth chasing them up because they're not going to be biased in any way. Well, I think that's one of the things we used to really stress, and I couldn't wrap up this podcast without giving it a quick plug. Um, you, Of course, you can choose any financial advisor you want. And many of them are excellent people. But... I like the fact that my financial advisor, which is you, is you're not tied to any company. So I I know you're not getting – there's no question of any kickback to you in the advice you're giving me. Look, I I like the analogy of of doctors that are not sort of putting ourselves up there against the doctors. But it's just like going to a a doctor that, um, you know, prescribes you medicine and the the medicine company's paying a kickback of, you know, 15% to the doctor. How do you feel about that? And and none of us would be too – too keen on that sort of a setup. So that independence means that they are paid by the client, not by the or the company concern. It does make a difference in what you hear. Well, Nick, lovely to be lovely to be. This yeah. has been, been wonderful. Old Thank times, you. great. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for coming into the studio, Ivan. I hope you'll continue to keep playing life oh, as well as those beautiful violins you make. And and yeah. thank you for listening in to, to this podcast. I've been asking a lot of questions. I'm certain there's a heap I haven't asked that you have, and we want you to ask us. So we'd love you to email us, podcast at baptistcare.com.au. That's podcast at baptistcare.com.au. And 
If you visited Apple Podcasts and left us a five-star review, thanks so much. We ask you to do that. If you can think of others who Nick's excellent advice might help, then by all means, get in touch. And of course, Nick has his own podcasts and he has links with the West and, uh, well, just about the world, really. So, And we've got all of that in the show notes that are attached to this podcast. Thanks for being with us. I'm Graham Mabry. Goodbye. God bless. Demystifying Age Care is proudly brought to you by Baptist Care.